We're going to uh, embark on a new adventure this morning, a new series together in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And you may wonder how, how does a pastor decide what it is he's going to preach on next, um, what, uh, what series to begin. It's really not a very scientific process. Um, there are a few things to consider. Where, where are we in the life of the church? What, is, what do we need? Uh, what does our sermon diet look like? Are we being fed all of God's Word from the New Testament and the Old Testament? All of that uh, comes into play. And uh, so I decided to start the series in Philippians for two main reasons. One is I've never preached this letter before, and I thought now's as good a time as any uh, to start. So that may be a more selfish reason. Um, but the second is I believe this is a, a letter that's fitting for us as a church now. Um, I think generally there, there's excitement among us. We've just gone through a transition, and a new pastor and his family are, are settling in, and there are those who have stepped up to help through the transition. There, there's excitement. There's anticipation about what the future uh, may hold. And, uh, I mean, we, we've seen the Lord's provision. It's a good time. We've, we're, we're putting our stake in the ground for gospel proclamation uh, in this place. And so don't be surprised, Trinity Fellowship. Don't be scared. But don't be surprised that Satan and the spiritual forces of evil do not like this. They hate what is happening right now at Trinity Fellowship Church. It's a threat to his dominion. Like any Bible-believing, Christ-centered, grace-filled, kingdom-driven community will be. So he's going to attack. We can expect this. We can also take great encouragement uh, in the word, and I hope um, that we will do that as we go through this letter together. So the Apostle Paul, he's been very encouraged by the church in Philippi. This is the first church that he had planted in the European continent in Philippi. So it would be northeast Greece, if you can picture that in your mind. Um, and things are going pretty well. The church is growing. They are continuing their support for the Apostle. They've just delivered a pretty substantial gift to him through Epaphroditus, uh, who's a, a member of that church. Um, and so this letter, it really, among all of Paul's letters, has this generally positive, encouraging tone to it. I mean, he encourages other, other churches in his letters, and he's going to offer admonishment, instruction to the Philippian church, but this, but this letter just soars. Uh, Paul's got a very a full and thankful heart. Uh, as, he, uh, as he writes this. So it's encouragement that I think we need to hear as a church. We need to hear the grounding for it. Why? Paul gives thanks. Why he can encourage the church uh, in this way when attack comes. You know, when, when the boat starts to rock and circumstances are anything but uh, we expected. Um, so we're going to start with the first two verses this morning. We will take off uh, larger sections of this as we go. I promise you that. Um, it's important that we, that we start here. It really sets the tone for the letter. It really lets us know what Paul um, wants to address. And I think by the time we all stand, uh, we'll be done reading these verses. So why don't you just stay where you are, and uh, we'll read verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father. 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do ask that you would guide us now as we look into your word, as you speak to us by your word, through your spirit. Lord, we're reminded through the psalmist that your word is forever fixed in the heavens. Fix it upon our hearts and our minds now, we ask, that we might know how to, how to apply this word. It is only in your light, Lord, that we can see light. We have a deeper and lasting understanding, a lasting peace through Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Caspian, <laughs> yes, emperor of the Lone Islands and ruler of Care Paravel. And who are you? Uh, just Jim. Just Jim. Oh, interesting. Interesting, Jim. Hi there. Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north and general of Felix Legions. And who might you be? Just Ray. Just Ray. Just Ray. Okay. Ah, hi there, Luke Skywalker, Grand Master of the Jedi Order, and now leader of the High Council. I've, I've been in hiding for a while, but I'm here in Sherwood now. Do I know you? Just Gabe. All right. Okay. So what do you think? I mean, pretty fancy titles, right? How's that for an introduction? Commander of the Armies of the North, that feels pretty good. How do you like to introduce yourself? What's the first thing that you want people to know about yourself? Um, I mean, there, there's no mistaking who I am, right, with, with an introduction like that. Um, I mean, so Paul introduces himself in this letter. He introduces himself in a way that we probably recognize by now. And if you were a, if you were a member of this prominent Roman colony in Philippi, then titles would have been a big deal. Um, if you've got the letters in front of your name, then you want that printed. You want to say that. You want that communicated so that you could you know, get the honor and the respect that comes with such titles. Um, we'll see something different here. And, uh, and, and even though I, I know we're not throwing out titles usually or degrees or things like that in our introductions, we kind of want to, don't we? I mean, that felt pretty good. You know, commander of the armies of the north. Um, we, we want this respect. We want maybe even a little admiration right from the get-go, right from hello. Um, but Paul doesn't do this. Paul does something uh, very different. He, uh, he, he, he introduces himself. He gives a title, a title that's going to demand attention, but not attention back to him. Uh, I think there's a lot that we can learn about the titles we see here in this introduction, who is writing, who's being written to, and what's the first thing that the author uh, wants to communicate. And so those are the three things that we're going to bite off on in this greeting. We can do so by reference to titles, slaves, saints, and the Savior. Slaves, saints, and the Savior. Um, so Paul doesn't start out with anything fancy what you'd expect, just his name. But then he also throws in the name of Timothy. Now think about Timothy's relationship to 
to Paul. He's a, a spiritual son to Paul. He's one of the growing leaders in the church. And, and the church in Philippi would have already known a little bit about uh, Timothy. And we're going to learn in chapter 2 that Paul hopes to send Timothy back to Philippi. He doesn't know when, but he hopes to, to do that soon. So it seems here that he's paving the way already for Timothy's arrival. Uh, they can expect him. They can listen to him. Uh, and we can be pretty sure with Paul's inclusion of, of Timothy's name here that Timothy did not help Paul write this letter. But as a leader in the church, as a co-laborer in the gospel, it's got his endorsement, everything that Paul says. Maybe like your squadron commander, another military officer, and that performance report comes across his desk. He didn't write that thing. She didn't write that thing. But they sign it. They probably know what's in it a little bit, but they are endorsing everything that's being said in that report. So Paul and Timothy, not just Paul this time, he doesn't even call himself an apostle. Did you catch that? He's drawing attention to someone else already in the first three words of this uh, greeting. So Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Uh, servants isn't a bad translation at all, but a little closer to the original is bondservant or slave. How's that for an impressive title? Hi, I'm a slave. Not real impressive, but it says a lot. The folks in Philippi would have been very familiar with slavery. And many of them in the church probably were slaves themselves. Or perhaps they owned some slaves. And that's a key word when talking about slavery, isn't it? Owned. Ownership. A slave is considered property. Owned by his master, her master. So it's very clear what Paul is communicating. He and Timothy are owned by Christ Jesus. They belong to him. And their status then is in association with Jesus. And this is in this uh, Gentile region, uh, that two-part name that Paul uses, Christ Jesus. It would have been instantly, the fact that it was a two-part name, instantly recognized as being associated with authority. Or leadership. If, if I were to say the name Augustus, just about all of you have another name that you're thinking of that goes in front of that, right? Caesar. Caesar Augustus. Caesar was the title of rule given to Augustus. So Paul and Timothy are slaves of Christ Jesus, the promised deliverer, the Messiah Jesus. So if that, that position is true for Paul and Timothy, true for those in the church, it's true for us as well. How do you feel about being the personal property of Christ Jesus? And I, I want to be sensitive with that language a little bit, but it's intentional. Human beings as the property of other sin-scarred human beings does not work. It's degrading. It's devaluing to humanity. Red, yellow, black, and white. They're precious in his sight, all made in the image of God. And so I wish I could say this morning that that type of ownership doesn't exist anymore between races or sexes. But sadly, that's just not true. Forced and unforced 
it's a lot closer than we would ever like to think. Um, so we must fight against that, fight against any attempt of ownership of one human being over another. But we are owned by the one who's made us. We're owned by our creator. Now, if our creator is as self-absorbed and greedy and unreliable as we are, then this is not very good news. But that's not the creator God. Our God is good. And he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And he has come as the God-man, the Deliverer, Christ Jesus, and we are His. You and I are the personal property of God. Not like the property that I claimed at the Revenue Office this last week. Lifeless objects like cars and campers. Um, we're living beings made to enjoy God. Made to serve Him. Now, now you... As human beings, you can be the property of God and fight against him and do your best to, to ignore this fact and serve yourself. Or we can acknowledge his rule. that We belong to him and serve him as slaves of Christ. That Paul would later say to the Galatians, slaves who have all the rights of adopted sons and daughters. That's Paul and Timothy. That's the church. And so Paul is showing this great humility uh, right at the outset here. He's de-emphasizing himself. He's wanting, to, uh, wanting the church to know his association with Jesus. Uh, so he doesn't use flashy titles. He's not putting himself on a pedestal, separating himself. Uh, quite the opposite. And he, he is already addressing uh, what appears to be an air of disunity in the church. And as we go on in this letter, we're going to see that there, you know, there's likely some factions in the church. Um, folks may be looking down on some other folks, not communicating very well, uh, communicating in the way that they should. Now, thankfully, this is New Testament. It doesn't happen in the church anymore, right? Um, no, no. So here it is. When things seem to be going smoothly, we're excited about what's happening in the life of the church, encouraged by this transition, what's ahead. The devil, the, the values of the culture in our own flesh will try and create disunity. Our sin, it, it places a wedge wherever it can. Wedges between you and your spouse. Wedges between you and your kids. Wedges between... Uh, church and its leadership, wedges between leaders in the church. And when that wedge is placed there and it's allowed to stay there, then it's, it's just this domino effect of, of pain, of destruction. So we need to be on guard against this, against this, fighting for unity, unity of purpose as a church. We must see ourselves on the same plane as fellow slaves of Christ. One body with one master. And that's what uh, Paul brings this out a little further with this next uh, title. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. To all the saints. Not, not a select group um, in the church. Not just those who have their names on the check. 
Not just those who have the perfect Sunday school record. Not just the exceptional Christians in the church. This is all the church. Uh, and I think the term saints has gotten a bad rap uh, in the last well, many years, particularly under the influence of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, where a person might achieve sainthood um, if they've lived a holy enough life by those who kind of determine what that is, or, or uh, some miracle has happened through the intercession of this person, and they can achieve that uh, status. I don't think Paul's going to support this. I don't think this has the support of the biblical witness. Here's just a couple of examples from the psalmist. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. It's Psalm 16. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Psalm 30. And Paul uses this term just a smattering of times in the New Testament. And if we jump to the end of the story in John's Revelation, we read in chapter 14, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So if you have submitted your life to Christ, if he is the only Savior and you acknowledge his rule in your life, then you are a saint. To the saints at Trinity Fellowship Church. The term means to be called out just separated unto God. We are His and we are to be about His business. And here's where some of you are thinking, you know, Brad, you don't know me very well. I ain't no saint. <laughs> right? Um, but if you are in Christ, then yes, you are. Now, your life and mine may not be the best reflection of our sainthood, but it certainly calls us to holiness, doesn't it? Paul is not ascribing the character of saints here to the church, but he's certainly calling them to it, to live in holiness in light of their relationship to Christ. And then he names the overseers and the deacons here, maybe for several reasons. The church leaders are included in the all the saints. Okay? They're not separated or superior in any way. He may want to, to reinforce their role, to honor their role uh, in the church as leaders. He may want them to pay special attention to what he's writing in this letter so that they can set an example. I think it's all of those reasons. The people of the church, the leadership, are saints together. They're in this together with the role of these leaders uh, being affirmed. Uh, that's really important uh, for what Paul is addressing. It's important for us to hear we're fellow servants, fellow slaves together. And, and, and already in this, this greeting, there's, there's a subtle encouragement, an affirmation, just by, just by naming them, an affirmation of healthy church discipleship and, and discipline. The leaders will, will model a submission to Christ, and it's these leaders, the overseers, elders, those, those words are used really synonymously in the New Testament, they're going to be the ones to take the lead in pursuing unity among the people. A healthy, healthy discipline among all the saints, all the saints at Trinity Fellowship, can only happen in the context of healthy relationships, of unifying relationships. You know, I was thinking if I were to walk up the street here, uh, lunch break, and, and I were to meet one of the high school students, kind of generally speaking, and... Uh, 
You know, one of them is finishing up their McDonald's lunch and takes a wrapper and just tosses it away. And I happen to be, you know, within shouting distance or something. I say, hey. <laughs> I was going to say something else. but um, Hey, you know, why, why don't you pick up that wrapper? Um, not good for the environment. There's place for those things. Other than the fact that I'm an adult, which in our culture doesn't really mean anything anymore, um, they, they have no real reason to listen to me. I mean, they might, or they might not. Uh, we, we have no, no relationship, no trust established if I've just seen them for the first time. Now, if that were one of my kids, or maybe one of, one of your children, that would be different, right? Now, now there's, there's a relationship, they, a relationship of trust. They, they know that well, this, this person loves me, this person cares about me put in a, in a position of, of authority. Um, and so correction is made that way. Um, th that's the life of the church. Okay, if we don't view each other as fellow saints, if there is not a unity of, of purpose and love for one another, then accountability and discipline that goes along with that love is perceived as merely attack. And how are attacks usually met? with another attack, right? And before long, attack after attack, and that wedge is nicely in place in the church. Something that was a real encouragement to me, and it should be an encouragement uh, to all of you as well. Uh, when I was candidating back in January, I spent some time with the session, sat down with them. Uh, they grilled me like it was their job. And then, uh, but then they said this, that even though they may not always agree, even though they may cast their vote differently at a session meeting, when they walk out that door, they're one voice. They're not going to work to undermine or undercut each other's perspective or to undercut the, the pastor. Um, they do this to promote unity. Now, that, that, that may be done imperfectly, okay, but it's extremely important. It's powerful as a church. So be encouraged by that. Know that... They desire unity among the saints. And from what I've heard, from what I'm beginning to see, they will love you enough to pursue that. So we are slaves to Christ. We are saints in Christ, who alone is our Savior. It really gives those previous titles meaning and significance. Paul closes his greeting with grace to you and peace. He uses that language in, in every letter, but we don't want to miss it. Sometimes it just goes right over. The Lord God has showed his, shown his church favor. He delights in the saints. And there's a peace as a result of this. Peace with God, an ability to, to pursue peace with one another. Maybe you've been in a worship service or experienced it in, in the past where Minister will, will stand up at the beginning of, of the service and actually say these words. You know, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Just invoking the blessing of God, which is a distinctly Christian blessing from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, again, in, in that time, Roman, Roman emperors and the gods of the ancient world, uh, they would credit themselves with the title of Lord or master. I mean, they, they like the titles too. 
they, they appreciated and would often demand the allegiance and worship that came with those titles. But Paul attributes grace and peace to God the Father and Jesus Christ. It is not the Caesar, it is not Zeus, it's not Apollos that can grant that state of well-being, that can grant that peace. It's only the one true and living God who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The one Lord of the Old Testament, the Holy One, the Righteous One. It's the same Lord of the New Testament whose full power and mercy Justice, it's all seen in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There's only one who can save. There's only one whose grace can can cover the dysfunction and disunity in ourselves and among the saints. Only Christ is worthy of such a title. Only he can demand this allegiance. So saints in Christ, let's be careful that we do not give that worship to another or expect that some lasting peace and satisfaction can be found outside of a life in Christ. We don't have to look far for this. And this this is a pretty overt example, but uh, this last week there there was a large gathering outside the Masonic Lodge um, at the bottom of the hill here, which most of you probably drove by. Um, And I don't know a lot of the history, but I do know that it it started as, as a guild for stonemasons back in the 18th century, and has now grown and developed into this uh, sort of religious activity, religious organization. Um, But it's very masked in secrecy um, and rather disturbing oaths. I mean, you won't hear about this. You won't see this. You'll you'll hear about the the band of brotherhood and a lot of charitable things that the Masons are doing. Uh, But to join a Masonic lodge one has to bow before the leader of the lodge whose title is the worshipful master. And then amongst other things with this initiation, the prospective member says, I am lost in darkness and I need the light of Freemasonry. Um, We are lost in darkness. Everyone. But what we need is not the blood oaths and secrets of something like Freemasonry or any other attractive substitute. We need the light of the world. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Our master has entered into the darkness. Our master has shed his own blood that we might have life. That is his grace. That is the gospel of of peace that Paul extends right from hello. Only only Christ is to be worshipped. Only in Christ can such grace be extended. Dr. Martin Lloyd uh, Jones, he's one of my conversation partners as I think through Philippians. Um, He's home with the Lord now, but thankfully he wrote a lot of things down. But he said something I think is really important for us to hear as we begin the series uh, together. Paul Paul is writing to the church. He's not writing to everyone in the Roman Empire. He's not writing to every person in the city of Philippi. He's writing to the the Christians who are there. Um, Let me rein this in a little bit. He's not writing to everyone in Sherwood. 
He's not writing to everyone in Jacksonville or to Cabot. The contents of this letter are to Christians in those places. Okay. So any comfort, any, any encouragement or application of this letter is only, it's only going to be there. We can only apply it to those who are in Christ. I think, I think that's a good word. So please don't sit here week after week as we go through Philippians and we hear the apostles' gratitude for the church and, and his confidence in Christ if that is not your confidence. Put, put him at the center, the center of your worship. Lean upon him in faith so that this letter and then the rest of, of the scriptures can be a light to your path be a delight to your soul. So it's, it's a short, it's a powerful introduction where Paul is, is de-emphasizing himself, promoting unity uh, in the church. Slaves of Christ, saints in Christ, and Christ alone as Lord and Savior. It just invites us to worship, doesn't it? Beckons us to worship. Individuals as all the saints coming together. Um, that's my prayer as we move forward that we would be unified, that we really catch a vision for our role as slaves to Christ and saints in his church. You know, i just end with this. Everything Paul shares in this letter, his encouragement, his own humility, his joy, his confidence, that can only be understood through the grid of the cross, through the humility of of Jesus, our Savior. So if this word is going to be life to us, if it's going to strengthen us in every circumstance, we must fix our eyes on the light, the very knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Will you do that with me? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your grace the grace and mercy that abounds to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we hear this opening introduction from Paul, we can be spurred on and encouraged to unity. Encouraged that we have been, that we are called saints, set apart unto you, and that we belong fully to you. Lord, may we go from this place acknowledging this and pursuing you with our whole hearts. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.